1: Do you understand what that means? We are separated from God. Promise of heaven, that hope that he gives us, it's not available to us until that sin need, that sin penalty is dealt with. The Bible
0: teaches us that that's why Jesus died on the cross. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect There's no
1: place like our home in heaven. That's why C.S. Lewis would say this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And so Jesus points them to the promise of heaven. But heaven's not the only promise for the Christ follower. Because God is always pointing us to a preferred future. You remember that Old Testament prophet Jeremiah who speaks to the children of Israel, a message specific to them, but a message that can be applied to us. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I want you to hear loud and clear today that God has a future for you. He has plans for you. Again, no matter how uncertain today may feel. You may have lost your job. Your income may be unstable. You may even be physically ill. But the God of the universe, who created you on purpose, has a plan for you. He has a future. He's always pointing you forward. Don't miss this truth in these days. The temptation is when we're sitting in our homes, safe at home when we're battling this new normal. We're tempted to say, when's it going to get back to normal? I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want things the way they were. In our nation, we don't need the church to go back to normal. We don't need a day in which hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches are closing their doors every week. We don't need churches that are half filled with people who are mellow in their faith. We need revival. We need a new day. We need a fresh wind, a fresh fire to blow. And God is always in the business of doing new things. What if? What if that's what God's doing right now? What if God is doing a new thing across his world What if he really has, as someone said, send us all to our rooms so that we can just sit and think about what we've done and come out better for it? What if he is trying to raise up the church for a new day, for a new work, for a new season? Oh, may God continue to point us to his preferred future. God is always full of promise. I would ask you today, are you resting in His promises? Are you standing on the promises of God? God is always full of promise, but there's a second truth I want you to get from this passage: God is always providing a pathway. God will make a way. I think it's Don Moen that wrote that little chorus that says it beautifully. God will make a way. God's always providing a pathway. So again in a moment where I would just ask you to to stop and focus. Whatever you're dealing with right now. Hear me say this. Based on the authority of scripture. God will make a way. After Jesus talks about our heavenly home, Thomas opens his mouth, and he inserts his foot. (laughs) How would you like to be Thomas? (laughs) You only show up a few times in the Bible, and you're not known for your greatest deeds. You're known for your weakest moments. This is one of those. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus has just said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. <laughs> There's Thomas. Uh, Jesus, uh, I still don't get it. What's the way? you Ever feel like that? Maybe you do today. You, you sit in a church service or you, you've been in a Sunday school class or a Bible study and you're thinking, I hear these people talking and, and they seem to, to be amening, and and they seem to understand, but I don't get it. That's Thomas. Even in the midst of this season, he he didn't understand. So Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so again, we have that Greek construct that we've studied in this uh, study together. Ego Amy, where it literally says, I, I am. The same God who reveals himself to Moses as the great I am, here to Thomas, says, I am. So think about the conversation. Thomas says, how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I, I am the way. Well, what if that's what needs to happen in your life today? You're looking to all these other things to try to make your way through. You're depending on your bank account. You're depending on your employer. You're holding out for the government. You're hoping that the medical community comes through. But what if Jesus is saying, I, I am the way. And so then, from this interaction, Christ's followers begin to be known from that day as those who were in the way. The book of Acts tells us it's not until Antioch that Christians began to be known by that name. Up until then, they were known as those who were in the way because Christianity has always been exclusive Psalm 16 describes it this way. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right, but it leads to death. You can I understand the exclusivity of Christianity when you really look at the totality of the statement of Jesus here in verse six. Jesus says, I am the way, but I want you to think of how he's saying the rest of this verse. I believe it's like this. I am the way because I am the truth and because I am the life. Jesus continues the exclusive claims. Not only am I the way, I am the truth and I am the life. He's reminding us that we've always had a world full of fake news. But in a world of fake news, he is the truth. So every person who lives has to decide whether or not we're going to live by these exclusive claims of Christ. Am I going to trust the character of Jesus? Am I going to trust the claims of Jesus? In John 17, Jesus would go on to say, sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. And you'll know the truth, he would say in John 8:32, and the truth will set you free. He, he's telling us that you have to know and understand this truth to experience all that he wants us to experience. I think it was 1992 that Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson were in what became a classic movie called A Few Good Men. If you saw that, you remember an intense courtroom scene where Jack Nicholson is on the witness stand and Tom Cruise is the attorney that is trying him as a witness. And Tom Cruise, in a moment of passion, screams out at the character played by Jack Nicholson, Nicholson and he says, I want the truth! And as only Jack Nicholson could, he replies, you can't handle The truth. You know what I've discovered? We live in a world in which a lot of people can't handle the truth. Can you handle the truth? Here's the truth. Jesus didn't come so that we might experience behavior modification. He came that we might experience personal transformation. See, your greatest need is not to be better because your greatest need is not that you are bad. Your biggest problem is that you're dead. That's what the Bible says we are without Christ. We are dead to sin. Do you understand what that means? We are separated from God. That means that promise of heaven, that hope that he gives us, it's not available to us until that sin need, that sin penalty is dealt with.
0: Bible teaches us that that's why Jesus died on the cross. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at missionhillchurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at missionhillchurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: Romans 5, 8 puts it this way. Christ demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, God, Christ died for us. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he did something that we could never do. He met the need and took the penalty that exists because of our sin. That's the truth. He's the only way to be right with God. There is no other way That's Christianity. Jesus died for the punishment of our sins and he rose three days later to give us the promise of forever life. That distinguishes us from every other truth claim. Atheism says there is no God. There is no heaven. So you do what you want to do. You eat, drink, you be merry. Universalism says everybody's going to heaven. So again, it really doesn't matter what you do. Inclusivism says Jesus is a way. There's a little bit of Jesus in everything. Everything. Everything's God. Doesn't matter what you call it. Christianity is exclusivism. It's what the Bible teaches. There's only one way to heaven. And that is through Jesus Christ. He's the truth. That's why Jesus would be even more bold. He would say, I am the way because I am the truth. And because I am the truth. The life Think about that i 'm the life it 's all about me. You look at this verse of scripture and you begin to understand how could how could anyone say that the Bible doesn 't claim that Jesus is God? He makes it very clear so when in our lives, we make it about anything other than Jesus, when we make it about us, we put ourselves in competition with him. Because it's all about him. So just do a quick survey of your life. See, most of our anxiety... Most of our worry, our fear, our trouble comes from the fact that we're stressed about those things we touch. Those things we can lose. Jesus is promising something that we can never lose. Life in and through him. All the things that you call life, those things you touch, see, feel, those things you long for, that's not life. A a relationship, a a home, a, a car, a great job, that's not life. Those are cheap imitations, false idols, and in difficult days like worldwide pandemics, those false idols are exposed because they all fail. Governments can't give you life. Doctors can't even give you life. But Jesus gives you life. Think of how John must have felt when he wrote these words. Revelation chapter 1, When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. He is life. Well, I wish we could take the time to go throughout this whole passage because Philip, he kind of takes some of the heat off of Thomas. He really gets confused. In verse eight, it says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. (laughs) And some of us play that game with God. God, if you would just do this, then that'll be enough. I'll lay my life before you. I'll serve, I'll give, I'll work hard. If you just do this. That's been the game humanity has played, and Philip is playing it here. Jesus, just show us the Father. In fact, he was wanting something everybody's wanted. If you just show me, God, reveal yourself to me, and I'll believe. Give me a sign. I'll believe. Not faith, but lack of faith. Think about what he had seen. He was there when the water was turned to wine he was there at the feeding of the 5,000 he was there at the healing of the blind man he watched the lame man walk and on and on and on but it wasn't enough for Philip I guess I would ask you today is Jesus enough for you he's told you he's the way because he's the truth and because he's the life is that enough Verse 9, it says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? That had to sting. I wonder if, as we walk through these troubles, Jesus would look at some of us, people like me. I grew up in a Christian home. I professed Christ for many, many years. And yet sometimes my attitudes and my actions, could Jesus ever say, Paul, do you even know me? Mm. Well, we all feel like there are days when we need more of God. I'm thankful that God is always full of promise. I'm thankful that God always provides a pathway even though that pathway always begins with a step of faith. But I'm thankful for one more thing. Because as I read John 14, I see that God always gives us peace. Jesus has this discourse with Philip and the other disciples. He talks about obedience. He talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit, the helper that will come. He again and again and again just challenges them to have faith. But then he says this in John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. There it is again. Neither let it be afraid. God is always full of promise. God always provides a pathway. And God always gives us peace. Close to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 or a couple of other verses I learned as a child. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Maybe you know what it says. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. Make your request known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Have you turned on the news in recent days? I mean, it's, it's pretty hard not to think we're in a doomsday situation. You're watching the number of cases of this virus climb. You're, you're watching the death toll climb. You're seeing the panic of people all around. You go to the grocery store, and it looks like, I don't know what. And yet Jesus says, not as the world gives, do I give. But I give you peace. Don't you think that's why in Matthew 6, Jesus would say, consider the the lilies of the field or or consider the birds of the sky. Don't be anxious. I've taken care of them. I'll, I'll take care of you. Just think about that for a moment. God attends the funeral of every sparrow. He's got you. He just wants you to become a bird watcher. He just wants you to, to look to them so that you can see that he's got you as well. Remember what he's done in your past. Realize his promise in the present and then rest in his plans for the future. Why? Because he's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. That's who he is. I believe Jesus is saying to you, I I promise you a future. In that future, I'm the path. I'm the path to your future. And when you walk down my path, I'll give you peace in the present. That'll calm your greatest fears. But you got to come to me. I've been thinking a lot about why my 83-year-old mama remembered My faux runaway attempt as a young child. (laughs) I think I got it figured out. I think for her, in those moments, I don't know how long it was, 10, 20, 30 minutes had to be at most. She wanted me to learn. I could always come home. Maybe you're worshiping with us today. And as you hear of the promise of Jesus, as he reminds you of the path that he offers, as he tells you about the peace that he gives, you just need to come home. Maybe you're like Peter a little later in the story. When he denies Jesus, you know what he's been doing? Just following at a guilty distance. Maybe that's you. You need to come home. But maybe you've never felt like you've had a home with Jesus. I believe this could be your day of salvation. Because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You're not going to go to God except through him. Would you trust Him today? Would you deal with that truth of the gospel? Receive His forgiveness? Surrender control of your life? And trust Him today? What I'm really doing is asking you to to take the knee, to bend, and surrender. So maybe where you're watching where you're worshiping. You would just do that. You would surrender the control of your life to Jesus. It's not hard. You've just got to acknowledge that you need Him because you're a sinner. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. And you've got to let Him take control of your life.